0: You're listening to The Rural Roundup for the latest news in agriculture. I'm Kerry Hammond for the Farm Advisory Service.
1: Tiffany McTaggart is here to bring you her Rural Roundup. Autumn cultivations are well underway, having had an early harvest. If you're in a nitrate vulnerable zone, don't forget there are closed periods during which there is no spreading of organic manures with a high nitrogen availability. Applications of high nitrogen organic manures can be carried out on grassland on soils which are not shallow or sandy until the 15th of October. The close period has already begun for other land and for sandy and shallow soils. Looking ahead to next year, the slurry rules are changing. From the 1st of January, slurry must not be applied using a raised splash plate or rain gun. And slurry must be applied using precision equipment on farms with more than 100 milking cows. From 2027, all slurry must be applied using precision equipment. Payments for basic payment scheme and greening are due. You may notice the payment is a little higher than last year. The combined payment rate for BPS and greening this year is as follows. Region 1. £223.08 per hectare region 2 45 pounds and 21 pence per hectare and region 3 13 pounds and 73 pence per hectare looking ahead to basic payment scheme 2023 it has been announced that subject to parliamentary approval of necessary legislative amendments there will be a change to ecological Focus areas options under greening the change brings in a forested areas that receive or have received support through a forestry grant scheme agreement for small or farm woodland creation. The change comes into force from the 20th of November 2022 and claims can be made from the 2023 claim year. Areas planted since the 1st of January 2015 are eligible to be claimed. Thanks for listening.
0: Let's go now to George Chalmers and Robert Ramsey in the northeast and southwest, as the weather changes and things are getting chillier.
2: So, Robert, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Yes, it's um, windy and wet down here in here, and I've I've just put the heating on, which is a first, a first for a few months, and I think a sign of things to come.
3: Yeah, it's uh, very autumnal. Um, days are shortening, nights are lengthening. Um, yeah, it's much much colder, isn't it?
2: It's been a great spell, though. You know, it's mm-hmm. been a really, you know, fantastic spell. And I suppose we're end of September, we can't really complain too much. The only thing when you, I'm sure your, your phone will be the same, but we are getting so many people phoning and, you know, asking questions about energy, about prices and, and where things are going. And really, it just does seem mental at the moment.
3: Absolutely. Um, I think it's fair to say that some sectors are most definitely more exposed than others, you'll sit down with you dairy farmers. That's energy intensive. I'm sure you'll be you'll be hearing quite a lot. Of, you'll be getting quite a lot of phone calls from dairy farmers with pig farmers, same boat, poultry farmers, same boat, and of course potato guys who have uh, they're just really at the start of the the cold source season.
2: Yeah, I, I was in a farm yesterday that there's. Electricity bills gonna go from being, you know, not very significant in their accounts. It was, you know, a couple of thousand a month and it's it's heading towards quarter of a million. You know, it's yeah. absolutely that sorry, I should caveat there, that's quarter of a million a year. <laughs> um, but still it's it's a colossal a colossal cost and something that long term certainly isn't sustainable. We certainly need to look at options that we've got to try and mitigate that.
3: I think I think I think that is a, that's an amount that um it doesn't be a thinking about really for a business.
2: Particularly when it's come totally out of the blue. You know, it wasn't yeah. none of this, none of this was expected. There's a lot of a lot of things have come together, not least the Ukraine scenario, but it's just unbelievable that we're here. And I think the the main point I I try and make to all farmers is we're we're all in this. This is not something nobody's done anything wrong, and it's not something you've no. done wrong. It's just a It's a very difficult time for, and it's not even just our industry, it's it's all industries and all householders as well.
3: Mm -hmm. And and taking it a stage further, there are a lot of farms who, they don't exactly shut down for the winter, but um, they won't be experiencing the worst of the energy costs. Uh, But even their houses, a farmhouse is going to cost, if it's typically 1,000, 1,500 pounds a year to heat, you could be heading the way of five figures this winter. If your contracts are wrong,
2: I did hear about the the price of wool has gone down because of the energy costs it takes to actually process the wool. But if the price of wool has gone down, it probably a woolly jumper's the option, the best option <laughs> for um, yeah. households this year. Anyway, it's a mm-hmm. it's a difficult one. Yeah, I, I do wonder whether we need to, we, or we definitely do need to look at. Like so, you mentioned the dairy story, and and it's easy to to look at a business and say we're big consumers because we are dairy farmers, or we've got. Potato cold stores and stuff, but that there that's never been a better a better opportunity to actually look for losses in the system. So what are we doing? What are we cooling? What are we heating? What are we pumping that we shouldn't be? And what are we using pumps and fans and things that are thirty year old? And actually, we could we could change them, make them better, and and save significant sums of money. That's
3: right. I think the first the first point is really just it's almost some sort of monitoring getting to grips, knowing how much energy you're actually using in a year. And if you're able to monitor even parts of the farm, the house, the steading, if you're a, a, a dairy farmer, is it the parlor, is it the coolant, your tank area and such like that, you, you know, using how much, You have a chance to benchmark, You have a chance to see when things go wrong, if there is a, a problem occurring. Um, you can you can monitor month and month or quarter to quarter. Um, it it kind of comes back to more benchmarking, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, definitely. I, and I I also think the so in the dairy world, cooling isn't is never going to be optional. When you ha- we have to cool milk, we have to keep that raw product fresh. But I do look at the potato store scenario, and I don't know a huge amount of, about potatoes, but I know we cool a hell of a lot of potatoes. That probably don't need it you know there's a consumer issue here that we want perfect potatoes as dug potatoes every day of the year and actually those potatoes that we used to eat that were wear potatoes that were ambiently stored mm-hmm. are fine you just peel them yeah there's, there's nothing you know the, the system most of those potatoes that are cooled or stored cool then go on to be peeled anyway you know, if we've got something wrong with the whole consumer attitude and the whole retailer attitude that the potato has to be perfect before it, you know, for it in order for it to be sold,
3: it's it's quite uh, strange when you go into a shop and the month of August or even September and you have got bags of new potatoes on on, on one side and then you've got these bags of really really nice tatties that had been basically lifted a year earlier. And that's cost a small fortune, and certainly, and, and now's energy's cost. The energy cost now it's going to cost a small fortune to take keep that tatties looking in, in mint condition all the way through. And and the bit
2: that that highlights as well, it's not just the cost of doing it, or the financial cost. It's the environmental cost too. You know, what is the footprint of that perfect potato in August when it's nearly at its first birthday? What's the fin- the financial footprint we can measure, but the carbon footprint of that is. It's colossal.
3: Other sectors, of course, um, the pig sector, they're big users. Uh, the the farrowing rooms use lots of heat to keep the small piglets warm. And all through the piggery, there'll be lots of fans going to, to for ventilation. Uh, um, and in the same vein, you've got this up, that with poultry farmers as well.
2: Do you know what? There's opportunities and the, the whole renewable world has come to life again. You know, it's nice to see that the... Renewable businesses, many of them went out of business when the subsidy system changed, but now we're into basically free market renewables. And that's where, you know, efficient, sensible systems actually get taken on and and succeed. And the crazy systems that were never going to stack up, but were only there for the subsidy, don't stack up. So there are huge opportunities. And certainly for anyone who's a significant user of electricity, if you haven't looked at solar panels or, or other options at the moment, now's the time to do that. And we've also got, there's a few podcasts, a few resources out there on the, the FAS website. One was The Thrill of the Hill. A, there was a, a really good episode of John John Farker a few, just a few weeks ago, um, hot off the press. And then there's also a, a few Farming for a Better Climate podcasts as well that are, are there focusing on renewables and options in this area. And I think that's the important thing is Farm Advisory Service And many other companies are out there to help you. You know, there there are opportunities at the moment, there are options, and this can't last forever.
3: Yeah, that's right, Robert. And on the Farm Advisory Service, there's even now a section that is dedicated to responding to the energy crisis. And that's got all sorts of helpful links about how to improve your energy efficiency on farm.
0: Jeanette Sutherland joins us to tell you about our next Farm Advisory Service Virtual Book Club. This is being held on the 27th of October. You can find a link to the book and a link to the virtual event in the show notes.
4: On the 27th of October, our Personal Development Book Club will discuss the book Joy at Work by Marie Kondo and Scott Sonneshine. Marie Kondo is a Japanese organizing guru. Her Con Marie method encourages owners to discard items which no longer spark joy, promising a clean mind as well as a clean home. In 2019, following the release of her Netflix show, UK charity shops noticed a doubling of donations as many households put her system to work. Marie focuses on what sparks joy. Marie's enthusiasm suggests that even paperwork for annual returns can spark joy if correctly catalogued and tidied so they only take the time needed. Her method focuses on gratefulness too. No mindless discarding of items, but thanking them for their service and removing them from our spaces and our lives with no guilt. Why don't you pick up a copy of Joy at Work and learn how her strategies can be applied to your farms and crofts and other business enterprises? In our virtual book club, we will look at how we can use her methods in places and activities that more often spark stress than spark joy. Catch the next Rural Roundup podcast for a quick installment on applying the KonMari method to farm and craft offices, medicine and chemical stores, meetings and networks. Grab a copy of the book and join us online on the 27th of October to use these tips and leave 2022 less cluttered and overwhelmed and feel better able to grasp the opportunities that 2023 will present. I think we might all dread sifting through piles of paperwork and sorting it all in one go. But if your office is overflowing and you struggle to lay your hand on that cattle passport or the drainage map from 1983, then a big tidy up, as Marie Kondo says, completely and all in one go is sometimes the only solution to creating a workspace that you can find things easily and efficiently. If you take the little and often approach rather than doing it all in one go, you might never reach the finish line. By carrying out your own physical and digital declutter festival, you should be able to create a workspace where you can complete your paperwork and admin tasks in less time than it was previously taking you, and with less stress. As farmers and crofters, it does feel like we are inundated with mail, bills, updates and various documents. Marie has three strong rules. One, categorise every paper down to the last page. two store your papers upright so you can see them and three, make a pending box. We shouldn't keep papers just because, however, remember we do need to store some documents for certain periods of time for legal purposes. Don't forget about digital clutter. We don't always have the systems of tidying and filing and destroying digital clutter that we do for paperwork. Get into the habit of filing important documents digitally. If we accept that there are a certain percentage of our working lives that need to be spent during this administration, we can develop wee rituals that make it more pleasant. We look forward to you joining us to discuss further online on the 27th of October.
0: This week I met Sasha Grierson and asked her, what's on your desk?
5: Well, today I've been doing some thinking about the Scottish Farm Business Survey. That's my core project work. It's one of the Scottish Government's uh, cornerstone agricultural statistics outputs. And here at SAC Consulting, we've been looking after the Scottish Farm Business Survey since, oh, I don't know, since time began. Every year we survey over 400 farms of the main farming types of a range of farming types that are traditionally supported by Scottish government. And we survey them for their economic performance in a very deep, granular way. So, we do a very detailed analysis, financial analysis on their performance. But we also, we do an environmental performance assessment of their greenhouse gas emissions on farms. And that's a unique data set. That's an internationally unique data set that we create for Scottish government, that linking of environmental performance with economic performance. That information is critical for Scottish governments to feed into Scottish government's uh, policy decision making. They need to have objective evidence from a range of Scottish farms. I'm also doing a piece of sustainability work for a client on um, looking at the road to net zero with with nature restoration. It's becoming increasingly aware that um, these two things, managing managing greenhouse gases, but also managing nature restoration, biodiversity, are actually inextricably interlinked. And so we've got a really interesting piece of work on our desks to do with that. I'm a country girl at heart. I grew up on a small farm in, in Ireland, and we all of us had that very, what I call kind of muddy wellies childhood, which I feel, I feel really blessed to have had. I've got a deep understanding, an innate understanding of just how, how where our food comes from, how much work it takes to get it onto our plates. And so really, I feel very much at home working in the rural sector. I currently live on a farm in rural Perthshire. It's a beautiful part of the world and I've got the most amazing view outside my front door. Um, Again, I feel really blessed. We've been living there since, oh gosh, the last 25 years or so. We are organic farmers. We run a very mixed farming business. It very much suits the climate and the soil type and the land type that we have on our farm. So We keep Pedigree Aberdeen Angus cattle. Easy care sheep, rare breed pigs. Uh, we have free range chickens uh, and we keep chickens for eggs and for meat. And we also do free range organic turkeys at Christmas. We, sell, we aim to sell everything directly to the customer. So we've been customer facing for, for many, many years. And I think that customer facing bit in our, in our business really has helped to inform and drive what we've done and to inform my own thinking around the work that I do in SAC Consulting. I find that the most exciting, the thing thing that gets me out of bed in the morning about my current job is really trying to think about that interaction between the three pillars of sustainability, the social sustainability, the environmental sustainability, but actually critically the economic sustainability and viability of Scottish farms. The survey very much addresses that piece with the linking of um, greenhouse gas emissions on farms with that granular economic detail. And I, I feel that, you know, as farmers and as an industry, this is what we have to hold in our heads as we move forward into the future. And it's a really tough challenge, but one is not mutually exclusive of the other. And I think the the really exciting bit is how we navigate through, the, through these three pillars of sustainability, you know, you can't have one without the other, they are all inextricably interlinked. And I think that people often say, oh, well, we can't be in the red and be green. And, and, and actually, the two things, there are many, many instances where we can do both. And I think that's the challenge for our future. But also, we've got to have the people involved in the sector. And that social bit, you know, do we have enough people to farm our farms in the future? Do, we have, do they have the right education? These are the questions that, that really excite me. The thing that I really care about is I really care about farm business profitability. I think that has to be the thing that we think most carefully about because that will drive all the other things. And it doesn't mean to say that we look at productivity at all costs. That's not what I'm saying. But in order to progress our farming practice, we have to start with that profitability piece. We need to incorporate all those other things and those values where we look after our natural capital, they look after our assets, we look after our people. But we have to always have that overriding driver that businesses are in business to be profitable. And and that's that's my thing. That's what gets me going. I do like to get outside into the fresh air. I like running, I like walking, I like climbing mountains, and I love absolutely love uh sitting s- sitting on a on a kayak in the in the middle of the sea, being surrounded by the ocean and I think you get that real sense of how small you are and how all this landscape and scenery has been around you forever and and you you feel your problems melt away as 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 you're sort of in that immersed in that grandeur. It's a complex picture for businesses to navigate through this profitability, environmental sustainability, and how do you do the best that you can with the people that you have. If you feel that this is something that you're kind of trying to unravel a bit and trying to figure out, get in touch. we'd, We'd love to hear from you and I'm certain that we can help you in some way navigate that piece.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rural Roundup. If you like the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to make sure you get notified each time a new episode is released. See you again in a fortnight.